Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. Here, our third time now in this new book, the book of Joshua. And it just makes a lot of good sense to be reading it. We read Numbers not too long ago. It really follows very nicely on the wilderness wanderings of the people of God as they were led by Moses, uh, led by the Ark of the Covenant. And here we are again. They are being led by the Ark of the Covenant, this time by Joshua instead of Moses. And we have a big event, perhaps the most important event in the whole book of Joshua. They are going to cross the Jordan River. And it, it's a big moment. And, you know, I guess sometimes we skip over this and we're like, oh, right. Yeah. OK. Yeah. They crossed the Jordan. I guess that's not as big a deal as crossing the Red Sea. Right. You know, um, and so sometimes we kind of downplay it. But it's a symbolic moment. Um as well as, of course, a historical one. And it, it's one that connects uh, everything in the past with Moses with the present for God's people in this moment, what's going on with Joshua. Uh, a lot of things going on here today. And of course, um, it speaks then to our own situation that, okay, maybe we look at our own situation, we say like, eh, this doesn't feel like it's, you know, the 10 plagues in the Red Sea today, right? Uh, but there are still these uh, symbolic happenings in our midst that show that God is with us in the way that even he was with Moses. So good stuff today. Looking forward to looking at Joshua chapter three. And I'm also extremely delighted that we have one of our regular guests um, who is just a guest who is just full of wisdom. And I feel like I just learned something and I'm just put at ease every time he's on. We've got Pastor Stephen Tice joining us today on the line, pastor from Frona, Missouri. Good morning. Welcome back, brother. So good to have you with us again. Good morning and welcome to you, to the airwaves, and also a happy new year as we run the calendar based on the resurrection of our Savior. Yes, yes, very good, yes. Uh, I was just reflecting on that a little bit, that, you know, the, the year of, uh, you know, that we keep 2020, right? I mean, it's it's a system that's based on uh, the recognition of our of our Lord Jesus Christ. That um, I think I think I was reading that it was like sometime, and I don't know what, like the the third and fourth century that it became popular as a way of like calculating the dates, and it you know roughly goes back to um, our Lord's our Lord's birth, and that's of course what AD stands for. Um, right. Though you know these days that's uh, not politically correct, but I, I still like using AD Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. I think it makes perfect sense to do that. The uh, the occasional practice is to use this weird abbreviation BCE, which means right. um, the, uh, the before the BCE. common era. The BCE means before the common era. Well, who makes right. it common? Why is it common? Why do we choose <laughs> yes. to use this date? So you're just dodging yeah. the question by by mislabeling things. But that's okay. Yeah. The Lord yeah, remains but, the know, Lord, even if people don't know it. And yes, that's right. And I like what you said, too. Who makes it common, right? See, and so that's why I don't really get, like, all agitated when someone uses CE or BCE, because I'm like, because, I mean, really, what does that speak to, right? It speaks to that it is in the Lord Jesus that all things are in common. It's like what Paul said, that in Christ, there is no Jew or Greek or barbarian or Scythian. There is no male and female. There is no slave or free. All are one in Christ. So, I mean, the great, you know, uh, koinonia, right, koinonia that we have, that commonness, that fellowship, why do we have that? Is because of Christ. So, you know what, I'll take that as a Christological confession as well. Sure. <laughs> yep. Yeah, very, very, very good. Uh, nice, nice little insight. But today we're looking at Joshua chapter three. And yeah, I mean, 
are arguably the most important thing that happens in the whole book, right? Yes, yes. We're looking at the the arrival at the land of promise and, if I can use the, the term, baptism of the nation in the new life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 well said. And we're going to look at this um, in a couple of chapters. You know, in chapter five, we're going to look. They get circumcised um, immediately after passing through the water, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's a beautiful thing because you know Paul is in the New Testament going to connect circumcision and baptism, and it's I think one of the most helpful connections in like the whole of scriptures. Uh, to help us understand the significance of baptism, that this isn't like the new thing that like we kind of made up at some point, but it really is like an extension or perhaps even um, it was kind of the original idea that was kind of foreshadowed in circumcision. But yeah, it, his, historically in the story, the two are connected uh, because it, right before pass, right before having the circumcision, they pass through water. Yep. Yep. This, this yeah. is the, the coming into a new life by passing through the water. And, you know, the, the idea elsewhere in Scripture, the people are told to shake the dust off their feet. In this case, they walk on dry land and get new dust, if you will. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a yeah. uh, reversal of the, the shake off the dust in condemnation. It's pick up new dust in blessing. Oh, I really like that. I, I have to hang on to that one. Yeah, because, you know, and, and we and we don't, I think we forget this too much, right? But the land is significant, right? And that's the thing that's beautiful about the Old Testament. The land of the people of God is is important too, right? It, it's not like, oh, well, this is just dirt, whatever, you know, burn it, build over it, forget about it, you know, move from place to place. This, this dirt has no significance. But I mean, I think the holistic picture of humanity that we've been created with, obviously, I mean, look at the picture in Genesis, right? We're like made from the earth, right? The animals too. And there's this idea that we're connected to the earth and the earth is like part of us. And it's a part then of our redemption and our restoration. And and so I like what you're saying, you know, that this new dirt, you know, the land is a part of God's story of salvation, um, and it's not to be forgotten. It's it's to be valued and to be included in the celebration. Absolutely. Well, well said. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive into this new chapter of, of Joshua chapter 3. And as we get started, would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening this day? Certainly. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good and gracious God, you have called us into yourself. You have called us out of darkness, and in the water of baptism, bearing us with Christ, you have also brought us into a new life through his resurrection, as he carried our sin and our guilt on the cross into condemnation on our behalf. Grant us, by your Holy Spirit, the power and strength to walk in this new life in steps that Christ has prepared for us, so that as we walk, we might follow him in joy and freedom to share the good news that you have provided a permanent inheritance for all those who trust in you. We ask your blessing upon all those whose lives are disrupted through war, famine, flooding, storms, and other calamities, volcanic eruptions, Anything that shows the world is broken reminds us that you will make things new when Jesus comes again. Until that day, keep us strong in him, 
who is the resurrection and the life, our Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. Very appropriate that as we speak of the salvation for the land and the land of blessing, that that we pray for those who are in war-torn lands um, and lands where there is uh, certainly some unseasonable weather going on. A lot of the U.S. guys, be careful. Um, I'm, I'm I'm happy that I am where I'm at here in Orange County, but I, I'm praying for you guys uh, that you all stay warm and safe in the in the ice storm that seems to be coming for most of the country. So, uh, thank you for. Yeah, yeah. So everyone be careful of that. So, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that prayer, brother. So let's go ahead and turn then to the chapter here. I really I really like, of course, also your mention of the footsteps and the walking. And um, that's a, a metaphor that's used commonly in the New Testament. And it's uh, not a metaphor in the Old Testament because they're on the move. There's a lot of walking and there's a lot of distance. And I want to talk a little bit about the distance that we have mentioned. But I want to first just start by reading the first six verses here of Joshua chapter 3. Get the ball rolling here. Here we are in the English Standard Version, Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. All right. So we are we are on the move. You know, in chapter two, uh, we, we talked about how uh, Joshua, he's not absent. Um, you know, Joshua is the prefigurement of Christ here. He shares the same name. Um, he wasn't absent from chapter two. He was uh, extended by those spies who were going and saving um, Rahab. And so here, though, he is directly seen directing um, and getting the people on the move here. And and today, um, on this on this new day here, it's interesting. The priests are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant before the people, um, and, and they're directing them so they actually know the way around. They don't know where they're going. This is a new, strange place to them. Um, it's going to be their home, but it hasn't been so far. Um, and they're supposed to be 2,000 cubits ahead, which is a little bit of a distance. So uh, your thoughts here as we get rolling in this uh this, this marching or set of marching orders and the, the big distance between them and the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, and there are a couple of things that, that jumped out at me as I looked at this. Of course, they rose early in the morning, came to the Jordan, and then they lodged there for three days. Yeah, there's three days again. And that, that pointing ahead to a three-day time period, of course, for us as Christians, with our perspective, almost always jumps us to the, the resurrection of our Savior. But, but it also has this implication in it that the three-day period of time means they've had time to set up camp, they've been cooking, they've been doing the work of, of the camp establishment. It wasn't an overnight drop everything and pack it up in the morning. So they've actually had time to arrange the, the 12 tribes, most likely as they did in the wilderness, around the Ark of the Covenant. It's, it's, again, in their center when they camp according to the instructions in the wilderness. Now, what we have here is the officers then go through the camp 
there's a delegation where God has arranged a a structure that Joshua is using, very much the same as as was used with Moses, so that Mm -hmm. the people are seeing the same routine as being followed, but the person in charge is now Joshua. And if God makes a promise to Joshua, we'll find a little bit further on here, that he's going to show the people that that Joshua stands in a position of God's approval. But it's this, the routine is still the same, so right now everybody's saying, well, nothing has changed. But because Joshua is the new leader, they will see things are changed as they get to the other side of the Jordan. Now, the other thing that, that struck, out, struck me is you see the Ark of Yahweh, your God. Yeah. The terms of personal application and it's carried by the Levitical priests, again, as we review the, the five books of Moses, this is the command. Only the, only the Levitical peoples can carry these things, and the priests are carrying the ark at this time. Then, when you see the ark being carried, then you shall, shall set out. God is still going before. The people are not supposed to jump up on their own and say, let's go now. And this is a right. challenge for, for most of us. We have our desire for something to happen. We have a promise from God that something will happen. And then when it happens in our timing, we begin to say, well, let's change something. Let's make it happen on our own. And I don't know about you, but I occasionally get impatient. If you don't believe me, my children, my grandchildren, they'll tell you the truth. (laughs) Yeah, well, certainly, I think that we can all relate to that. I mean, especially in 2020, right? We're all such thoroughly... We're also thoroughly baptized in the paradigm of individualism, right? And it's hard to escape, even with our best efforts and the regeneration in the church. Like, we just, we kind of default to individualism, and we all think, like, oh, why should I be a follower, you know, Mm -hmm. of of Joshua when I can, you know, make my own decisions, right? And I can decide my own direction and what's best for me and and my truth, right? (laughs) We mentioned that a couple days ago. Uh, Right. And so it's, uh, right, it's instructive that, I mean, uh, you see it again and again and again, right? The people move as one collectively under a leadership with a hierarchy, right? Like these things are not bad. They're used by God. Yes. And if you think about the distance then that they're following at, which, you know, roughly speaking, comes to about half a mile, everybody can see where the ark is so that no one in the camp is blocked because someone stands between them and the ark. It's now far enough away that everyone is able to perceive God going before them. And then, of course, as as Joshua points out, you've not passed through this way before so that you know exactly which way to walk. Part of what we'll get to in just a a moment is the floodplain of the Jordan River, and this is the rainy season. Um, My wife and I were able to be in New Jersey this past weekend uh, for the baptism of of our granddaughter and um, was able to participate in that, talked with one of the the, uh, family members who are residents here in our area, Um, and what they told me was between Thursday and Saturday, one of the folks who has a rain gauge said they had eight and a half inches of rain. Wow. (laughs) A good amount of rain. Well, at this this time of the year, most of that will drain off and and end up in the creeks and go down to the the Mississippi River, Uh, which at this point in time isn't that terribly high. I mean, it's not low, but it's it's not flood time yet. But when yeah. we look at what we're told about the Jordan Valley here, it's important to recognize that half hour, uh, half mile in front of you was also significant because of where you had to walk to stay out hmm. of the, the muck and the swampy waters. I had not considered that. Yeah, 
No, that's that's very good, and I appreciate you for making, uh, you know, trying to drawing that out and, and making it explicit. Because I know the first time I looked at this, right, I, I just kind of, uh, it's it's so it's it's kind of crazy too. The first time I looked at this, I'm like, oh well, of course they're to keep their distance because you know if you touch the ark of the covenant like inappropriately, you're struck down. You you know the sentence is death. Um, you know it's holiness here, right? Talk about consecration consecration of the people, right? So. You kind of my, my default assumption was like, okay, they're keeping their distance because it's holy, right? But I mean, it doesn't even say that. I mean, it actually says, "Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go." I mean, I mean, it's actually very clear in the text. The reason for the distance is a practical concern um, mm-hmm. that they would they they just be able to see from a long ways off. Because as you were saying, they got this big mess of people, um, and if everyone was like huddled, like you know, a hundred a hundred feet behind the ark. You know, half the people wouldn't be able to see <laughs> then, sure. and they're gonna and they're just gonna drift. I mean, they're gonna have this drifting. I mean, just unintentionally, even even with their best efforts, that's what's gonna happen. Like, you have to have everyone stay at a very considerable considerable distance, or else just it's inevitably it's what happens. I mean, like when we when we form crowds and, and we try to act on a on a large scale, we just kind of inevitably um, kind of fall into that sort of chaos. So, um, yeah, you know, it's like you said, like about half a mile. Um, it, it's 2,000 cubits, um, and sometimes I almost wonder, like, why don't they just translate it this way? It's almost exactly 1,000 yards, um, mm-hmm. which is which is which is a lot easier to understand. You know, we, we can all think of like you know a football field. There's 100 yards there, yeah. right? Um, if you have like a really good day, you'll make like you know. I, I think the record is like 300 rushing yards or something like that. Don't don't quote me. I'm not like the best with football statistics, but you okay. know. Um, if you, if you do like a thousand yards in a season, that's pretty elite company. So, I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, running, running back and forth on the football field 10 times. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty big distance, but the point is that um, you'd be able to, to see like, even if you're in the midst of a, of a large crowd, because what's important is that they're acting as one, that they're following the directions of the officers sent by Joshua. That they're following Joshua's lead, that they're following the lead. I mean, ultimately of God, because that's whose presence is symbolized by the Ark of the Covenant, as you said, right, it's being called the Covenant, uh, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. He really is the one who is the leader. Yeah, his his relationship is, is still the, the one who will go before you and show you which way to go. And and as you were talking, what, what came to my remembrance was that Jesus was often enclosed by crowds so that yeah. some of them couldn't see him. And, and <laughs> right. here's the, the awareness that the people will need to know how to follow him course jesus says when i when i am lifted up will draw them into myself he's he's looking at this idea of crucifixion but the other thing is when jesus was crucified everyone could see him right yep. yeah no i hadn't made that connection but that's right i mean like so much of uh i think isn't that like in john like 11 that um you know like when, when i'll be lifted up and draw all men to myself and there is that sense that that you have in john that when, when Jesus is lifted up publicly for everyone to see, because not everyone's going to see the ascension. Right. Um, I mean, they're going to see it indirectly through Pentecost, right? right. Um, but but only the disciples themselves are actually going to eyewitness see the ascension. Um, what everyone sees publicly with their eyeballs is the crucifixion. That oh. uh, you know, th- there are these moments where God puts this distance between us and Him, and uh, the this the distance. Um, I mean, we might question it, and we might wish that we were closer, right, in the same way that we might wish that our Lord didn't have to die or right. that he might not have to be, like, half a mile away from us. But it's so that we can see 
I mean, we, we need, this is the reality of sinful and, and just, I mean, even <laughs> sin aside, just, you know, finite creatures, we cannot right. see mm -hmm. like the, the glorious splendor of the immortal and infinite God without distance. <laughs> right. Yes. And, and, uh, this is the, uh, the, the promise and the joy that we have is that Christ says when he comes again, then God makes his dwelling place our dwelling place. Before, before the Lord returns, it says he'll dwell with us, but the, the promise is when Jesus comes at the end of the age, we then will have our dwelling place right there with God in his presence, and the lamb on the throne will be our shepherd. So all kinds of phrases, of course, that we pull out of Scripture at different times, but, but they talk right, about right. a relationship of proximity, of closeness, of care and attention. And, and right. right now it's, it's still the, our God is a consuming fire. Uh, the, you know, the giving the Ten Commandments was pretty much, don't come up on my mountain, it'll kill you. But let me come right. down to you and I will give you life. And, uh, yes, yeah. right, right. Yeah, and you see all these barriers, right? And there was like a, even when they were in the camp, of course, the people were less than 2,000 cubits away from the Ark of the Covenant. Um, right. You know, like the, the, it was not, uh, it was not like a, a thousand uh, yards long, the, the, the area, the courtyard of, of the tabernacle, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there was, there was a barrier, you know, there was a wall and there were guards, right? The, that was half of the responsibility of the Levites. They were, they were armed guards to prevent anyone from getting too close. So, I mean, there, there's always, uh, even if there's not that kind of distance, there's, there's, a, there's a barrier. God's got to put something uh, between us and him. And we're going to see that kind of idea of someone having to stand between um, when we get to the priests and the river, right? There, there has to be someone standing between um, us and what would otherwise be our doom. Right. Very good. Well, uh, lot, lots of good thoughts. Thank you for that first section here. Um, perhaps we might go ahead and press on and read the next little section. The ESV helpfully breaks this chapter up into three paragraphs, and the second one begins at verse seven, um, going through verse thirteen. And there's a few there's a few interesting things to comment on in this second one here. We're coming up on our break, but at least we can get it read and um, maybe make one observation before we take a pause. So here's verse seven then. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. All right. So, I mean, here's Joshua giving the orders. Um, the big thing, I think, as you were starting to say earlier, the purpose here, the significance of this moment is being shown. Um, I mean, in the words of God spoken to Joshua, I will begin to exalt you 
in the sight mm -hmm. of all Israel, right? I mean, like just like you were saying, our, our Lord, um, through the mystery of faith and the mystery of the cross, exalts his son um, when he is lifted up. Um, and here, right, here's the prefigurement of our Lord Jesus, Joshua, and he's being exalted here in this moment, in this, um, what you might call a Passover moment as well. Um, and, and there's there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack right there, but we have to take our break. But when we come back, we'll unpack this idea of the significance of this moment, exaltation of the prefigurement of our Lord. When we get back, looking at Joshua chapter three on Thy Strong Word. Be right back. This is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it. So tune in. You'll be richer for it over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American Coaches. Biblical images and metaphors for Christ are numerous. Shepherd, light, servant, and many others. All of them suitable for singing. On the next Sing for Joy, you will hear music honoring and celebrating Christ the Lamb. Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God. Join us. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're joined today by our regular guest and friend, Pastor Stephen Tice, pastor from Frona, Missouri. We're looking at Joshua chapter 3. We just read the second paragraph here, looking at the instructions that Joshua gave as they were right about to cross the Jordan River miraculous, miraculously through another miracle similar to the one that God did with Moses when they crossed the Red Sea. The river is going to be cut off. The water is going to stand up in a heap like a wall of water so that they have ground to walk across. Um, Jeff, very, very cool moment, and I'm glad that we're going to have a moment here now to unpack what we just read. Um, but before we do, I just want to make sure to invite everybody who is listening live I know a lot of you guys listen to the podcast. I, whenever I go back over an old episode, I'm using the podcast. You know, that's it's so convenient. My wife listens to the podcast. Uh, you can check out the podcast very easily if you have uh, an Amazon Alexa enabled device. Um, you should just be able to like ask it, like you know, hey Alexa, you know, uh, die strong word on KVO or something like that, and it should be able to pull it up. Um, but you can also just use like a podcast app. Very cool. Check that out, you know, like Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. Um, but everyone listening live, you can call in. So 
7302727 or if you're in St. Louis 3148210850 or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org and as always we thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation check them out at lhfmissions.org um speaking of questions you know one of the questions that i had when i was reading this was actually just this is a little thing um it was actually the previous section verse 3 it mentioned the Levitical priests. And uh, I saw that and just kind of like raised an eyebrow because I was sort of like, well, it's kind of odd because I, I feel like sometimes in um, today I encounter like in, in parish settings, there's a little bit of confusion about the priests and the Levites because you got to distinguish that. Well, the priests and the Levites, these are, I mean, they're actually like different people, right? Like the Levites are actually not priests. They're kind of like helpers to the priests, right? Um, and, and so I, I know that was something that raised my eye. I was sort of like, well, why are they called like Levitical priests here? Um, you don't have a, an answer to that question offhand, do you, brother? Oh, it looks like we lost him. <laughs> Whoops. Did, That's but I have returned. Oh, but he has returned. Praise the Lord. Hey, look, just in the nick of time. So uh, I don't know if you heard that question that I was just asking. No. But um, in verse 3... Um, just taking a step back, um, we had the term Levitical priests, which yeah. I thought was just sort of interesting because the the, Le the Levites are a different group than the priests. Right. Um, the Levites are, are like auxiliary, like helpers, you know, like we mentioned, they're guards of the Ark of the Covenant, right? They're not the priests themselves. So mm -hmm. Levites are on, on one side, priests another, but here they're called Levitical priests. Like why why would they be called that? Do you know? be a focus on the fact that they're continuing to follow the exact command God had given to Moses in the wilderness, that the priests are to come from the family of Aaron. All of the priests are descended from Aaron. The high priest, of course, will be the, by God's arrangement, normally the eldest son born to the current high priest, although the Lord made exceptions because of his preferences to, I'll use the word, remove obstructions, so that the Levitical priesthood is inherited. And by the time we get to John the Baptist, we often overlook this completely. John is a Levitical priest. Hmm. Hmm. He just never serves in the priesthood, but he is of the family of Aaron. Right, right, right. And so Ru the priests go before them. Mm -hmm. Think about that for just a minute, getting back to John the Baptist. The priests right. yeah. go before. Uh-huh. And now we have... Right. And, yeah. And the priests go into the water, right? Like yeah. uh, as you're saying yeah. with, John, with John the Baptist, right? That really is that really is something. And and, and right, like I think that that's something that we um, I, I appreciate, like you met you uh, describing it that way. That it's it's taking a look and focusing on them as the I mean the descendants of Levi, like those the descendants mm -hmm. of Aaron. Um, talking about you know the, the continuity because this is a day as we've been saying um, is a day of continuity. Yeah. These priests. Mm -hmm are of the same stock that was serving with Moses. Joshua, right, is, is the true successor and heir of, of Moses' leadership. This is a day when everyone's going to know that this thing that we're doing is still part of the same people of God, the same mission that we've been doing all along. It's important that we as God's people know that what we're doing, it has continuity with the past. Um, and that we're not just, you know, making up something new and kidding ourselves. I mean, it's important for us today that that mm -hmm. we would know that what we are doing in the church and what even particularly, right, what we're doing, you know, 
in our in our you know relatively small uh, LCMS congregations on the weekend that that we know that this is actually in continuity with yeah. what God was doing even in uh, the Old Testament. Absolutely, and we are following this pattern, and as Paul described it, what you have received to me, pass on to faithful men who will be able to instruct others. And um, one of the things I regularly talk with, uh, for years I was blessed to be pastor of a parish where we had seminary resident field education students. And one of the things I regularly would try to pass on to them was, when you serve as a pastor in a parish, keep in mind two important things. One, the congregation almost always existed before you came, and the the pastoral ministry will continue after you depart, so that it's never about me as the man, it's always about Jesus as the center of the people. And this idea of continuity that Joshua, Yeshua, is now carrying forward from from Moses what Moses gave him. We we know this so easy we overlook it constantly because we're so familiar with it we just don't see it. Joshua right. spent forty years walking walking through the wilderness with Moses. Yeah. Joshua yeah. just doesn't pop up one day. He's been no. in the process for forty years, watching, hearing, seeing Moses in his struggles, and knowing that this will not be a simple task, but God is with him. And the continuity part of it, as you mentioned, is still for us, that God is with us. Even though the environment, culture around us may change, the God who is with us does not change. Right, right. No, exa- exactly. And it, it's, that's, that's an important thread um, for just running all along, along the whole tradition. And, um, yeah, and, and I think that what, one of the things that, um, you know, kind of, to also kind of like help understand like what what's that term doing there um you know it's using the adjective levitical but you know mm-hmm. that's that's a form that's kind of in english that that it part is kind of like what what we have added um yeah. and in hebrew i mean it's just it, you just have the words levi and levi's i mean <laughs> really what it says right in, in hebrew <laughs> mm-hmm. um it is like the uh i mean it, it's really the the priest's <laughs> it kind of sounds strange. The priests, the Levites, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it really is pointing back to just like the descendants of Levi, and not necessarily like you know, like there's some kind of like a and any kind of confusion at all between you know, like the the, the Levites, you know, the ones mm-hmm. who are the auxiliary people, um, and, and and then the priests themselves. It's just it's just seeing that like yeah, like these guys are as good as Levi. They're an extension. Um, of that one of the 12 tribes. And of course, that's why you get in part of the instructions, right? Take one man from each tribe. Again, yeah. like mm-hmm. we're having one man represent each tribe because each tribe is representing one of those uh, 12 sons, right? I mean, so uh, there's it's this, this idea of continuity. It's this idea of um, the people collectively um, being a, a person, right, even, and yeah. which is, of course, the big idea that we get when we have our Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the embodiment, then, of not just one of the 12 tribes, but actually the whole people of God, such that anything that happens to this one man happens mm-hmm. to the whole people of God and all who are baptized in his name. Yes, and then this is, as you just said, this is a focus on the whole people of God, one from each of the 12 tribes later in the next part, uh, more instructions are given about those 12, but it's, again, it's a representation that all are together, as you mentioned, 
and that none of them is being left behind. All are being yeah. carried forward. So there's going to be a, a, a joint entry into the land of promise. Uh, and later on, you get into the division of the, the land among the 12 tribes, and that becomes a, a point of reference. But at this moment, all 12 tribes are crossing the Jordan together. Right, right, and, and so that that togetherness, right, that that oneness is is mm-hmm. so is so critical, right? I mean, I mean, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about the whole like uh, CE versus AD thing, right? Yeah. Even if you say common era, right? Like, well, why is it common? I mean, it's Christ who makes us one, who makes us have all things in common, right? I mean, that that's the that's what's said in Acts, right, and in Paul, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, th- those ideas are, are still um, still very important and very Christian, even if they aren't acknowledged as such. Uh, there's another shade to this, though, in this section that we just read, uh, going going to the idea of exaltation, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we were starting to talk about that, that, you know, there's this, in, in a mysterious way, um, through the distance, Joshua is going to end up being exalted through um, the elevation of the Lord Jesus and the crucifixion, right? He is mysteriously right. and paradoxically exalted. Um, it's interesting because, I mean, this is what God is saying, right? It's, it says there, like, you know, Yahweh said to Joshua, I mean, this is why I'm exalting you. I mean, it just it just it mirrors so much of what we see in the New Testament with like the father right. lifting up the son. Uh, but what's interesting to me is that even though that this is the purpose, um, you know, the whole idea of uh, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That goes back to chapter one. That's what Ru- the, the Reubenites said. Right. Like we believe this, mm-hmm. that as God was with Moses, we're with you. So even though that's kind of the focus there, when Joshua turns around and speaks to the people, he's like, all right, guys you're going to see something and you're going to know that I'm the man, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't actually say that, right? He doesn't say like, I'm about to be exalted. I'm going to be so exalted guys. Just check this out. <laughs> like he, he, he doesn't actually say that. There's like, no, no, there's no, no hint of like arrogance in what he says. Isn't it fascinating? He says, here is how you shall know what, like that. I am the real leader, right? And that you've got to follow me. No, actually he says, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, speaking of ite, right, like, um, and all the other ites, yeah. right? Uh, I mean, right. so his focus is the same focus that he had when he was a spy with Caleb, right? Yes, that, right. hey, God is with us, and he can take them. Like, our God is going to fight our enemies, and he is going to win us the battle. I mean, his focus is on giving courage to the people of God that they would not lose sight that God in their presence to defend them and to fight for them and that he is their champion that's his focus and i feel like that's just i mean it isn't isn't joshua just personifying jesus our lord right like 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 that humility and that focus and and you think about the the whole understanding that this is the lord of all the earth who is at work here and the part of the way you'll see that he's the lord of all the earth is you know he brought you out of egypt okay in egypt he could handle the 10 gods of egypt the 10 plagues in the wilderness, he right. provided for you. But now this is a new territory. These are new right. people. And they worship other gods than the Egyptians. None of those gods count. They're all, they're all a substitute for the real Lord of the earth. And as the Lord of the earth now has authority over these seven nations, and again, the number seven has a symbolic value as well, that all the enemies of God's people are under his power, and he destroys them at his choosing, Jesus' statement, when he is right before he ascends back to the Father, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, the Lord of all the earth. You know, the the phrases 
that Jesus uses almost always come right out of the Old Testament. You just have to find where they were. Yeah. And, and in this process, we see that the Lord is saying, all the Scripture points to me. How does this yeah. part point to Jesus? Well, he's the Lord of the earth. Right. Yeah. yeah, that is, that is, so, thank you for saying that. I mean, that's, isn't that something that, you know, sometimes we're like, you know, well, why didn't God just kind of show up and make it obvious and like make everything clear? And so there's this, this whole long drawn out history, right? Where, you know, Abraham's like off in like Ur of Chaldea and then they like, they go to Canaan, but then, oh, wait, they go to Egypt and they go back to Canaan and, and, you know, like all this stuff, right? And we're like, you know, what, what's, what's going on? Why this long drawn out history? But it's, as you said, this, this long trek, I mean, this all this distance and movement, yeah. um, you know, later, I mean, we saw this in Isaiah, there's going to be diaspora, right? I mean, like the Assyrians are going to come and deport the north all over the place, and then they're going to resettle people from all over the place. And then when the Babylonians come, there's going to be another diaspora. People are going to end up back in Egypt of all places, right? Off in Tarshish, they'll go. They'll be in exile. I mean, so there's all this movement all over the place, right? Why all of this? Like, well, it's as you said. This is what is giving, I mean, history is testifying that Yahweh is not just this kind of Semitic tribal warrior God of this one little locality, but that he is the God of all the earth. I mean, they're seeing it happen. I mean, this is why Rahab, right? Rahab, we saw this in the last oh, chapter. Yeah. How, how does she refer to the God of Israel, right? I mean, she says that, um, I'm losing like the, the verse here, but like when she's like speaking to them, um, she's, she refers to him. Yeah, that's right. It's in verse 11. He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath, right? I mean, like mm -hmm. Rahab of Jericho is understanding that this is the God of everything. And she understands that yeah. because she's seeing like, look, this God's powerful out in Egypt. He's powerful out here. He's powerful everywhere. No other God is like that. Yeah. And this ancestor of Jesus, as you say, points to the fact that He's the Lord of the earth uh, and the heavens above, and, and this clear understanding that as she's been, for lack of a better label, on the outside observing, yeah. she sees more than the Israelites can see because they're, they so closely are focused on day-to-day -day life, manna, water, you know. This is a person standing back and saying, wow, this is really important stuff. And it's a good thing to be able to step back and and look at something from a distance and observe it because we're so actively yeah. wrapped up in things that we often miss what god's doing i i really like that connection there right in the same way that the israelites have to be a thousand yards behind the ark so they can mm -hmm. see where it's going the distance kind of metaphorically speaking of of rahab and jericho actually yeah. is what like helps her to see then right? What's what's going on? And you see that in the New Testament, that some of the most profound examples of faith, like, I mean, think of the Syrophoenician woman, right, who approaches right. Jesus, mm -hmm. and Jesus is like, where where's the faith like this in Israel, <laughs> right? right. Um, and, and, then, and then the person who has, like, the greatest confession of faith uh, leading up to the resurrection, right, is, uh, you know, who's traditionally known as Dismas or Demas, the, the thief to our mm -hmm. Lord's right, who says, remember me in your kingdom. I mean, th this guy as the the distance and and the darkness of of the cross of death but like through all of that he's somehow enabled through that distance to see what's going on that he's speaking to the resurrection and the life and it's as you said this distance um which we experience in our lives sometimes when we feel distant from god right we feel like yeah. uh, there's darkness mm -hmm. in our lives uh, god allows these things to happen because we we gain so much 
perspective, and we can see actually it helps us to bring uh, bring us closer to God and to see Him actually more clearly, and to see that He is actually the God of all the earth. He's the God of the highs and the lows, the the hills and the valleys in this life. Absolutely. When things um, go well, like, God at work. When things are going poorly, God's still at work. We just don't see him as much. <laughs> yes, yes, ex- exactly, exactly. Yep. Yeah, only only by faith. And um, mm-hmm. I really like, too, this phrase, you know, the Lord of all the earth. Um, the ESV has a note on that in verse 11. Uh, it says here, the Hebrew says, the Ark of the Covenant, comma, the Lord of all the earth, as if it's apposition. I, I have to admit, I don't actually understand what the ESV is getting at there. I looked at the Hebrew, um, and uh, so this is a little bit, a little bit of a nerdy comment here. So not not everyone might be super interested in this, but I, I think what they're getting at is that there is a disjunctive comma, um, so to speak, uh, after the word covenant um, that separates it from Lord of all the earth. Uh, but uh, you, you got to take that with a grain of salt because you got to remember a. Uh, all those little uh, accent marks that the Masoretes added were added uh, much later, a much Absolutely. later stage. Um, so the, the Hebrew consonants do not necessarily say at all um, that this is anything except for a big phrase like the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth, which is how yeah. it's taken by the Septuagint and all the translations. So I, I think that's how what, that's what the Hebrew is getting at, too, um, that it's just kind of meant to be that it, it's his covenant. You know, right. it, it's his Ark. Um, which I think makes a lot of good sense because I mean, think about it. Actually, here it's that—that's not actually Lord in all caps, like uh, no, short, is, uh, shorthand. It's actually the word Lord, Adon. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Wh- and, which and is which focus, is so fitting. Yeah. yeah. And he he is the ruler, the master, the Lord of all yeah. the earth. Without them knowing who he is, he's still the Lord of all the earth. Yes. Well, yep. yes, and also right. He he's. Um, He's the one who has made a covenant, ultimately, with all the earth. I mean, that's the perspective that you get, actually, in Genesis, that this covenant that that God makes, Mm -hmm. I mean, he makes the covenant in the creation acts themselves in Genesis 1 and 2. But you see it when it's reaffirmed even through Moses, uh, I mean, through Noah, um, and and then later through Abraham. That, I mean, really the covenant is ultimately between the Lord and all the earth to bless all the earth. I mean, and we're going to see that, that even as the Lord marches in war here, he's going to bless mm-hmm. people like Rahab. So, I mean, I, I think that this is like super significant um, that God is referred to this way that, I mean, it's just it's testifying to his power and majesty and his universality, but mm-hmm. also his saving work that he's he's come to save and to fulfill the terms of the covenant that he has made with the entire creation, which is the covenant that he made at its creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's you reflect on the the readings for uh, Epiphany that we had last week, the, well, two weeks ago now, um, this this whole focus on the mystery hidden for the ages, yeah, what was the mystery? Yeah. That this is actually the Messiah for all people, not just one nation. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, no, I, I love, I love, I, I mean, I love that part of the liturgy. It's fantastic. Sure. So many of our proper prefaces are just beautiful mm-hmm. poetry that, that have really good theology, right? It's not, it's not just, um, you know, like pretty turns of phrases. It's really deep. Right. It's good to meditate on. Mm-hmm. Um, we only have about like seven minutes left. So I okay. want to make sure that we get to this last section here. Let's read it over and we have time um, to speak a little bit to it. You're mentioning like the the water and like the overflowing of the Jordan. So Absolutely. maybe we have a moment to talk mm-hmm. about that in verse uh, 15. But so here's 14 to the end now. Joshua's given the instructions. So verse 14. So 
When the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now, the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. There ends the chapter. Yep. Yeah, we're looking at some, some marvelous things here, obviously. The, the floodplain, this is, um, you know, and I'm not sure what, what your, last time I was near Orange County, I don't think I got into it, but I don't think you have a whole lot of floodplain in Orange County, no. do you? <laughs> not, not, not a very high flood risk out here. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't, okay. doesn't rain nearly enough. <laughs> sure. But, th but this whole idea that there is a wide swath of land, right. uh, in farming terms it would be called river bottom or creek bottom, but in yeah. this case, it's also, you know, the, the valley that leads to the, the lowest point above sea level, uh, which is below sea level, but it's uh, not flooded by the ocean. The, right. the Dead Sea, as it's called here, the, uh, the Sea of the Arabah. This whole region is a wide floodplain that now is being filled with water. They step into the edge of it, not the core of the Jordan, but the edge of the floodplain. And then the waters start backing up. This is a right. phenomenon that's going to be observable for hours to everybody who is upstream from here. Yeah. Because if you happen to be walking outside or you're near the edge of the river, what you see is the water doesn't keep going. The water starts stacking up. And it's not just the Jordan River. It's all the tributaries, all the creeks, mm -hmm. Jabbok, anything else that drains into that watershed, as we call it, has stopped flowing downstream. So everything's starting to stack up. This phenomenon will get attention for those who live in that region during the flood season. They're already watching right. the flood level. Now now they're going to see something important happening. Now, the, the Ark of the Covenant has been carried, and when the f bottom of the feet of the priests touches the water, whoosh, the water stops flowing. But then the other miracle is it's dry ground. Right. So that's, that's the real astonishing thing for us, miraculously speaking. Somebody might have come up with an argument that says, well, there was a natural occurrence that interfered with the water flow. Fine, that doesn't dry the ground up. Yeah, no, it would have taken, I mean, days um, at least to to dry up the, mm -hmm. the ground and actually have it be dry ground. Like something very particular is going on here, very very miraculous, as you were saying. Um, and, and, and right, so you have this, I mean, it says that, right? It rose up in a heap very far away at you know Adam um, at you know Adam that Hebrew word there which is which is actually kind of interesting that like it's going all the way back and there's a city named that uh, or, or or an area named that sure. um, but right yeah it, it, it would have been observable and yeah this is a I feel like sometimes I think I think I've seen this like in art like and it was like almost like you know this kind of like weak little causeway appears right for them to yeah. just cross right and it's just like a little bitty thing you're like oh, that's not nearly as impressive as the Red Sea, right? But as you said, I mean, this was like a, a big disruption of the river. I mean, gigantic. Mm -hmm. And, like, tons of people would have been able to see it, right? So, I mean, this is this is like Passover number two. 
Um, mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is um, I mean, th this moment that is connecting um, e everything to the escape from Egypt. Um, and it's also going to be is going to be so big. Right. Then when you go um, to later, like thinking of the ministry of John the Baptist, thinking right. of the ministry of our Lord Jesus, that, you know, like th this whole baptism thing is another Passover moment um that we're supposed to see the connections to and that you know john the evangelist um is so good to the apostle and the evangelist uh, so good to bring out that this is the passover mm -hmm. lamb and and as, as you mentioned this this new passover event occurring one of the fascinating things for us is as we read the new testament culturally it become habit or practice in jesus day that one when one came in from outside one washed the dirt off one's feet yeah one washed one's feet and now there's dry ground for them to walk through. And, and what happens is when Jesus has his disciples in the upper room, he washes their feet. And they are now the 12 priests, the 12 apostles, the representatives of each of the 12 tribes of Israel are now being washed so that they can enter into this relationship. If I've washed part of you, I've washed all of you, Jesus says. And so we, we see, again, the connection between washing and, and relationship with God, the, the cleansing and being made new. But the other side of this is the water that is life. Everywhere people live, there must be water or life can't continue. And, and this is the God who controls the water gives life, physical and spiritual. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a big theme um, that's just connecting this event with everything else going on. And uh, it, it's interesting, too, maybe like one last thing. We only have like a minute now. Um, it's the priests, right, who are standing there, right? And mm -hmm. it's as long as the yeah. priests are standing there, they have dry ground and they can pass and the water is not going to get them, right? Um, but you have to have the priests there almost like standing between them and the water. Um, the priests doing this in the same way that Moses did, like Moses actually right. acting as mm -hmm. a priestly character while, while, while he was um, like kind of holding back the water, so to speak. And isn't that interesting as a picture, too, for like the work of our Lord Jesus as priest that you know, he, he comes between us and the water of judgment. Mm -hmm. So just like a, a few seconds left here, but uh, just last, last word to you. Well, the, the reference of standing in, in the water, standing on the dry land, the Lord sends the one who stands in his presence. And standing in the presence of the Ark of Covenant is given up the privilege to the priests. And now we are called these priests of God in the New Testament. Now we are a royal priesthood. We can stand in yes. God's presence through the gift of Jesus Christ. A Amen. Bringing you around full circle. Thank you so much, brother. Always a pleasure having you on. I'm going to have to take that picking up new dirt idea and take that with me. Okay. Looking forward to having you on next time. Thank you, sir. God's blessings with you. Thank you, everybody. That was Pastor Stephen Tice, pastor from Frona, Missouri. I'm Pastor A.G. Espinosa. Until next time, everybody, peace. National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at KFUO.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.